Welcome to Who Watches the Watchmen, a weekly discussion podcast of the HBO series Watchmen. My name is Derek Wong. And I'm Jeff Zhang. Today, we're going to take a look at the Looking Glass-centric fifth episode of Watchmen, titled Little Fear of Lightning. The episode is directed by Steph Green, a TV veteran with a pedigree that includes The Americans, The Deuce, which is another HBO series, and Bates Motel. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those I have series. I don't think I've seen any of those series <laughs> oh really yeah I have not seen the deuce but I've seen both the Americans and Bates Motel and they're they're both pretty good the Americans especially is is really good I, I know uh, Amir mentioned that in his guest episode yeah they're they're all very solid shows and once again this episode is written by Damon Lindelof and this time he's joined by yet another alum from The Leftovers as co-writer named Carly Ray. So I think I'm sensing a pattern here with uh, Damon Lindelof and, and his Leftovers alumni. <laughs> so he, he hasn't used the same one though yet, right? He hasn't, but I'm sure there's going to be repeat co-writers down the line, especially if this goes multiple seasons. So yeah, yeah. I mean, why, why mess with a system that isn't broken, right? He, mm-hmm. he had some great success with The Leftovers. So, so Derek, what did you think of this episode? If you remember last week, I went on maybe a little bit of a, a rant, if you want to classify it as that, that the show was positing too many questions versus giving uh-huh. us enough answers. And I felt like this was a direct response to that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I felt like we got a lot of answers to a lot of questions that we've had these last you know, five episodes or the four episodes preceding this one yeah for sure i was very happy to kind of get all these answers but get some new questions that i think will lead us to the end of this season yeah and this episode had some fantastic character work with uh with looking glass and Mm -hmm. and wade i think it it's kind of like a throwback to lost where it's like a character centric episode and it's also very reminiscent of some of the episodes of The Leftovers, where it's really well done with a lot of character work and and some really weird things sprinkled in, too. So I thought this episode was like the perfect confluence of all the things that we've been discussing on this podcast so far. And there were some huge reveals in this episode, I think. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think if you've been listening to us every week, none of them are all that surprising, right? Yeah, I think it's some things that we've kind of determined that might happen because of what we've seen on the show, but also what we've read through the PDPedia files. Right, exactly. So if you guys like big surprises, I guess we kind of have to apologize because (laughs) a lot of our theories began to bear fruit in this episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You got like the epigenetic trauma, which we talked about last week, to the history between the Keens and the Crawfords, to Rorschach's Mm -hmm. journal and the 7th Cavalry. There are a lot of things in this episode that we talked about in the past that have just pretty much turned out to be true this episode, right? I think uh, we should just get right into it, right? you have anything else to add? or If people don't know, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah, yeah, I loved it too. And this, uh, this doozy of an opening scene, right? It's, <laughs> it's, this opening scene's nuts, yeah. So Yeah, let's get into it. So the episode starts where in Hoboken, New Jersey in 1985. So we see a group of 
Jehovah's Witnesses walk out of a bus and into what looks like some kind of fairground or carnival. You know, their minister gathers them and then they kind of pray and and then they kind of start to disperse, right? And, you know, my understanding of that religion and Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, they kind of walk around and they try to get people to understand God's word and everything. Focuses on one particular individual who's kind of holding this pamphlet. And it says, you know, the Watchtower uh, announcing Jehovah's kingdom. So that's, you know, that's why we know they're Jehovah's Witnesses. And right. on it, it says also, are you prepared? And there's images of pandas. I'm not too sure why. And and then the minister kind of comes and uh, reminds Wade, you know, it's one minute till midnight. So this was a a big motif that they used a lot in the comics, right? In the original graphic novel, where it was, they're moving ever closer to, you know, nuclear warfare or nuclear destruction. Right. It's the doomsday clock, as you you will. Yeah. Uh, The man approaches and and reminds this uh, individual, you know, it's one minute till midnight. And he says, tick tock, Wade. So we know this is Wade Tillman or Looking Glass, right? Mm-hmm. So now we understand like this is the past. This is where he was, you know, during 1985. And we'll learn really quickly during the incident of the drop of the, the squid. So Wade kind of traverses through the fair. And there's some really interesting tidbits while he's walking around, right? Right, right. Uh, the first is he sees a young gentleman sitting down reading a comic. And everyone by now knows the name of Fight. So they see the words, you know, the Vite method on the back of whatever this individual's reading. So that's a that's a nod, of course, to Adrian Vite and Ozymandias. This also is a nod to the comic, because I think we see this comic in the comic, right? It's the it's Tales from the Black Freighter, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what maybe people couldn't tell from it um, is that we're seeing the back cover, but the front cover, you, if you look closely enough, it does say Tales from the Black Freighter. Uh, so that's definitely a nod to the graphic novel. And we've mentioned already in multiple episodes, you know, at least my love for the Tales on the Black Freighter, like sideline story that they have in the comic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the person in the the graphic novel is reading that exact comic, too, because it's got the yeah, yeah. Uh, the ad for the Vite method on the, on the right back. Right on the back, yeah. And if you don't recall, it's actually Adrian Vite's workout. A regimen that he's selling is like a nod to one of those old school workout ads and like comic books and magazines, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this is uh, with Adrian Veidt and his Veidt method. So nice little callback to the graphic novel. Uh, Wade kind of keeps walking along, and then he sees this group of uh, individuals. It looks like gang members that they, you know they're all wearing kind of leather jackets, and they all have top knots or, mm-hmm. or man buns. Um, so they're a little bit ahead of their time, right? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so this is also a reference to the comic, right? Because there is a top knot gang, right? Is that what they're called in the comics? Yeah, that's that's what they're called, the top knots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is definitely supposed to be a callback to that. And actually, if you look carefully, standing right behind him, there's a there's a poster for the pale horse. So this is also a big kind of moment that it, it's it's alluding to in the comics, where on the night of you know 11, 12, 1985, Pale Horse is supposed to be the band that's, you know, playing a concert. Yeah, at a Madison Square Garden. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, that's this is also mentioned later in, in the episode, if you you remember. Uh, and then he, he's, you know, he's building up courage to kind of say, like, hey, um, you know, are you ready to hear the truth? And he, he approaches this group and he tries to tell them it's one minute till midnight. There's nuclear arsenal ready to be launched. So the Top Knot gang doesn't really want to hear it. They're 
little combative and they, they kind of knock the pamphlets out of his hand and the female trying to be nice is like, leave him alone. I'm going to, you know, take him to the fun house. And mm-hmm. so they kind of go into this kind of retro fun house. You know, this, this reminds me of like any kind of fun house you might see in like a movie or TV show, right? There's the weird elongated mirrors and then the room of mirrors. And so this is kind of that typical uh, fun house that you might imagine. So we, we learn a little bit about Wade in the scene, right? We learn that he is originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of been seeing it throughout this whole scene is that his believing in the words of Nixon and, and believing that, you know, we are really close to potential nuclear destruction. Right. And uh, one interesting thing that happens during the scene is that it's played in the background and we could hear it, right? It's George Michael's Careless Whispers that starts playing. Yeah, this is like a big theme throughout the episode. And uh... Yeah, because this for me, I was counting it, or at least uh, hopefully I counted correctly. This was the first of three times I think I heard the song used. Yeah, all great uses yeah. of the song, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty, I'm, I'm pretty... kind of waiting to hear the uh, the actual soundtrack drop for yeah, this, these yeah. three episodes so I can listen to these renditions of I know. Whispers. <laughs> so uh, she undresses him all the way down to he's nude. Mm-hmm. And we think that maybe they're about to have sex in this fun house that has no other people in it. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> apparently. But we, we find out that this is all a ruse, right? She takes his clothes and says fuck you bible boy and and runs yeah. out steals all his clothes yeah steals all his clothes he's left there naked and he looks at himself in the mirror and he starts shaming himself right he's, he's yeah he's really humiliated him. yeah yeah and he's mm-hmm. kind of reminding himself like you're an idiot how did you even let this happen and while he's doing that we start to hear this high pitched sound and then we hear an explosion in the background what sounds like it's coming from outside and then all of a sudden all the mirrors shatter Right. It it cuts to black. And then we see Wade open his eyes. He's been bleeding from his ears. And when he walks outside, he basically sees a sea of dead fairgoers. Right. Like pretty much everyone's dead. And right where he kind of stops is where he sees the girl that just stole his clothes. And it looks like her head almost like exploded. Right. Yeah, not, not like exploded, not exploded, like, but like she's got like blood coming out of all of her like orifices, and she's got like this rictus grin on her face that's like frozen when she. There's like a real like horror moment, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty creepy. Yeah, he sees other people that are also surviving, so it, it's nice to see that he wasn't coincidentally the only one that survived. So it, it didn't kill everyone that was at the fair, right? Right. And then you know he starts screaming like, "What happened? What happened?" and he, like he's screaming and then we see the camera start to pan away so i mean this is new jersey so right across the river of course is new york right and that's where we're headed camera pans away and pops over the river and then you start to see the kind of destruction that's, that's happened in new york the first thing you see is part of this giant tentacle he's panning and then we see the you know one-eyed squid monster right right the one that right dropped on new york by adrian mm-hmm Zack Snyder did not have the balls to use this in his in his movie, but David Lindoff's right. like, we are using this. I think I read an interview today. I can't remember um, what was the publication, but you know, he basically told all of his writers and told all of his creatives that the one thing he wanted to do was this. He wanted to show the squid. Right. And like, if you think about it, it's kind of a great way to convey the horror of the squid attack. And like you said, the 2009 Zack Snyder film didn't really trust that its audience would be able to connect to 
something like a genetically engineered alien squid being dropped on Manhattan. Mm-hmm. But I think this show has proven that you can show it and it can work really well, right? Yeah. I mean, to Zack Snyder's defense a little bit, when we don't know, I mean, the, the, a nine-hour show versus a, a two-hour right, movie. Right, exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think like the trick with these big disaster set pieces in movies and TV is to have like a ground level perspective of whatever's happening. And this is what this episode does, right? I think for me in particular, when you zoom out on like large scale death and destruction and just show like the spectacle, my eyes kind of glaze over and like I can't really relate to that kind of stuff at all. But like showing this event through the eyes of Wade. Uh, or looking glass, you really get a sense of the horror and the disbelief. It's it's really great, I think. But but it's still very effective to then see the yeah. squid. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you got you, you show both, and and it's and it's pretty good. And I think like for this first scene, it's not something like we really predicted, right? That mm-hmm. um, looking glass or Wade was actually present on November second, nineteen eighty five, during yep. the squid incursion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that him being in the middle of all this chaos all those years ago was really the thing that consumed him and turned him into the guy that we know on this show, right? Like the conspiracy yeah. nut. I, I couldn't have predicted that. I had no idea that this is the direction that this was going. So this was one of those surprises, I think, for, for yeah, the episode. one of the That's very big surprises. And it really colors his character in a very fascinating way that I think gets explored throughout this whole episode, which is, I think is amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, one thing I, I noticed that when we're panning away and he's still in New Jersey, we see a, a sign for Sinatra Drive North, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And they use his music a lot in this. Yeah, yeah, New, so York, New York is playing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's it's really um, interesting the, the way they kind of tie. The use of music is really, really different, I felt like, in, in this one. Let's move on to the next scene. Now we're back in present day, right? And Sinatra's New York, New York is is playing over the scene and it's a nice little transition it transitions into what appears to be a focus group of some sort and they're testing the audience for a new york city travel ad it's like a super cheesy ad right uh, it's just a bunch of talking heads of new yorkers saying stuff like i came here for all the broadway shows and stuff or, or a police officer going i wish i hadn't come back because if this place gets any safer i'm gonna be out of a job it's very cheesy <laughs> yeah it's super cheesy and we even get like a little Michael Imperioli cameo who played uh, mm-hmm. Christopher from the <laughs> Sopranos who delivers like the best line of this dumb little ad. He says, you know how we like our squid now with a little lemon and uh, marinara sauce. Yeah. <laughs> um, and watching all the focus group subjects from behind a glass window is uh, is present day Wade. So I'm assuming this is a uh, looking glasses civilian cover, right? Yep. Um, when he's not a cop, he's just some sort of consultant for the companies running these focus groups. And and that's what his uh, his cover job is. So, like, all the feedback sheets come in for this New York travel commercial, and it looks like everyone loved the ad, and the ad execs are pretty thrilled. But Wade jumps in, and he's like, they despised it. <laughs> and the guys are like, no, no, they loved it. They wrote it on their sheets. And, and Wade says, you didn't hire me to tell you what they said you hired me to tell you the truth and he says that they told you they loved it because (laughs) what hot-blooded oklahoma male is going to admit that he's scared and that all the commercial does is remind them of the horrific and inexplicable deaths that occurred 30 years ago 
and that none of these people would ever actually move to New York because of this commercial. So this is a little introduction to to Wade's non-police job. And I actually like to comment on that last scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. To me, that's actually one of the most fascinating scenes of this whole episode, just because I've never thought about what happened to New York after the comic, right? Like, right, right, right. The right. idea that, you know, probably millions of people don't want to live there in fear that it might happen again to the city. Or there's probably a bunch of rebuilding that needs to be done, right? Yeah, like, yeah. After the squid was dropped. I mean, the idea that you you live in New York, you know New York, right? It's it's this you know hustle bustle of a city, and you know it's a city that kind of never sleeps, kind of thing. To think about it now, like if you thought about if the squid actually dropped, you wouldn't be living in New York, right? Right. So right, it's like exactly. kind of crazy to think about that, and I've never thought about that. I've never thought beyond the comic like that, which I thought was really fascinating to posit that for this city. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see, right? I think just showing that aspect is is just evidence that <laughs> these writers have thought a lot about the implications of all aspects of the graphic novel, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, so then uh, we cut to Wade making his way to his little remote storage unit where he keeps his mask and his car. I assume he keeps the storage unit out of paranoia, right? He's not going to keep his mask and and his police equipment near his home, I guess. Well, we see later that he opens a safe and he has a mask in there, though. So he, I think he... So I guess he has one in... Yeah, I think he uh, keeps them in multiple places. Yeah, maybe like ease yeah. of access or something like that. Who yeah, knows? Yeah. Um, so he, he changes into his looking glass attire and he rides off to the police station where... Lori is, quote-unquote, addressing the troops for the first time as the new boss, right? Mm -hmm. She's talking about all the 7th Cavalry raids, the interrogations in uh, Mirror Guy's pod. Yeah, Um, she keeps calling him Mirror Guy. Guy. It's It's so funny. It's a nice little running gag in this episode. And she says how they have, like, absolutely nothing to show for all the stuff that they've been doing. And that now they're gonna do things her way. Right. Mm-hmm. So Lori in particular is looking for the 7K headquarters or at least the main stage where they film all their propaganda videos. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and the videos all seem to point to a church, which shows up in the background of all their videos. So mm-hmm. she orders the force to comb every church within what, like 50 miles of Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah. So she sends all the, the police force to check out all the churches and there's this cute little scene where red scare is eating a sandwich with lettuce from what i'm assuming is like their evidence locker right because wade gives them like a good dressing down for it um well wade points uh, at a, a lettuce that's yeah. right there, sitting right there and it's it's taken out of an evidence bag yeah yeah <laughs> so, so like, it's, yeah, a pretty, it's clearly evidence <laughs> pretty funny little bit um but i think it also serves as like a reminder to us later on in the mm-hmm. episode of the lettuce truck uh, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but when like LG is tailing the 7K members, you know? Yeah. Um, and then Angela shows up uh, in her Sister Knight costume, mm-hmm. obviously, and she asks LG if he's heard any news from his ex on, uh, on the pills. So if you remember from last week's episode, Angela asked him to test what was in the pills that uh, Will left for her. Mm-hmm. And Angela pushes him real hard, but 
LG says his ex is doing them a favor and that you don't lean on someone when they're doing you a favor. And Lori comes in and interrupts them and calls quote unquote <laughs> mirror guy into her office. And like she just refuses to call him by his official code name, I guess. She's yep. always calling him mirror guy. I guess it's a classic Lori brand humor. She she asks him to take off the mask saying that they're all on the same side and that she knows what he looks like. <laughs> Wade being like the paranoid guy he is. He protests, but uh Lori finally convinces him to show those uh sad green eyes of his. In this scene, Lori's just going through uh Wade's personnel file with him and She's a little taken aback when she finds out that he was in New York on, on November 2nd, right? <laughs> LG corrects her saying New Jersey, actually. Uh, so I was actually surprised that the squid attack effects reached all the way to New Jersey. I mean, yes. New Jersey's right over the water, but like, I was really surprised that it was such a large spanning event. And it looked like the shockwave was still powerful enough to like, kill almost everyone at that carnival too so yeah the range on that thing must have been pretty ridiculous yeah i think what we learned from the comics was that or at least what we what we think from the comics is that it only affected people like at the epicenter nearest right right city. right yeah to learn that it also affected people in new jersey was a little surprising right um so Lori asks him if he's still scared shitless and uh she points out that people who are caught in the psychic blast zone on that day regularly wake up in the middle of the night screaming and looking glass says that he sleeps great but laurie notices that he joined the force after the white knight right the attack on the the police by the seventh cavalry which gives him like the perfect excuse to wear his uh his reflectatine mask and i believe this is the first reference to what looking glass's mask is made of and it's interesting to note that it's supposed to act as like a protective shield against psychic blasts so it's clear Laurie isn't sold on Wade being unaffected by his uh, his squid experience, right? Mm-hmm. And from what we see from the rest of the episode, she's completely right. She also keeps calling him Mirror Guy, right? Yes. And, and Wade says, I know you know it's looking glass. <laughs> and Laurie's like, you know, you can still have Mirror Guy if you want. <laughs> Once, yeah. It's still open <laughs> for you if you want. <laughs> the name is available, I guess. Yep, yep. She then dismisses him, but not without asking him what pills angela was asking him about <laughs> and it's revealed that she bugged the cactus on his desk mm-hmm. and that she's she's heard the entire conversation that he had with uh with angela i just love how blunt Lori is on this show oh, yeah and like how she has no issues giving up secrets when they're like no longer of use to her you know i think she did this in the car ride to lady true's tower last episode like detailing her past and like her uh, history as like a costume adventurer and like what happened with her parents and now she's doing it here just by casually saying that she bugged wade's desk you know i i, I just I, I just think she's a great character and pretty well written so yeah, yeah. i want to go back to that the, the reflectatine because I, I think in this point in the episode we still didn't exactly know what it does or what it was and i think it goes into a little bit more detail later in the episode so when i i remember when yeah. i first saw this i was like oh it has a name. This material has a name. And, oh, that's kind of why he wears it, right? Because he, he thinks it protects Right, him. right. Yeah, so it was really interesting. We got a lot, a lot of information from this scene. Uh, but also to go back a little bit to the, the scene where all the cops are kind of, like, gathered in that, that space. 
I love that set. I want to see the set again because I, I love the way that it's lit and it's so gray and like the way they kind of have to like sit across from each other like a forum. Yeah. When I first saw that set in the first episode and I'm glad we got it back. There's like a kind of like fascist symmetry to that set, right? Where it's like all the masked police officers and the yellow masks and there's like a, a podium in the center. So it's interesting to to see these mixed messages about like the police and and racists and, and things like that. All right. Well, uh, should we move on to the next scene? Let's yeah, yeah. Let's move on to the next scene. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the next thing we return to Wade's home, and again we hear a musical cue of Frank Sinatra playing uh, while he's kind of rifling through his mail. And you know we see mail that's for him, but then we see mail for a Cynthia Tillman. So I'm assuming this is his ex-wife, right? Uh, right. His ex, quote unquote. After he puts his mail down, he looks behind him he opens this drawer and he opens a safe where we see one of his reflective masks in there so it looks like like we said before it looks like he has one probably at his storage unit probably has one at his home i wouldn't be surprised if he maybe has one in his little bunker too right uh, that we just didn't see so he takes off his hat and the interesting about the hat is that when he lays it down we see the inside is lined with reflected team too so, you know, we've seen him wear this hat this pretty much this whole episode. And we've seen it, I think, wear it in uh, previous episodes. But now we're learning that it it serves a purpose rather than just being a hat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So he takes off his hat and immediately puts on his mask. So we learn that he does not want to be without some type of reflectatine on top of his head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's like, he's in his kitchen. He's opening up this can of baked beans which i think we mentioned this it's definitely a, a direct call to rorschach and his his love for just eating beans out of the can but and here we, here the mask has like a purpose right he doesn't want to be without that protection you know yeah. so <laughs> yeah i remember when we first talked about i think it was episode one or two where you know there was parallels definitely to rorschach and the fact that he wanted to wear his mask even when he was at home you know, Rorschach in the comic wears his mask because that's his true right, self. That, yeah, his true face, yeah. Versus Wade isn't that, right? He wears it because he has PTSD, right? Right. <laughs> Post-traumatic squid disorder. <laughs> which I was reading a, a, an article from Stephen Lindelof today where he, he uses those words, which I thought was great. So he, he has PTSD. You know, he, he wants to protect himself because he wants to be ready at all times. So it's it's definitely now... You know, the parallel visually is there, but it's definitely two different characters, right? And two different Right, right. So he sits down and he's watching another episode of American Hero Story, Minutemen, on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I really miss this. I don't think we've seen it for like two episodes. I've, I've kind of yeah, wanted to know right, more right, about the story. And um, in this, we're seeing a, a scene where it looks like Hooded Justice is having sex with, I believe that's Captain Metropolis, correct? Right. Yeah, they're, they're yes. rumored to be... Uh... Gay lovers. Yeah. So in the comics, they were rumored to be um, lovers and in a relationship. This scene is very reminiscent to the scene, right, where uh, Eddie Blake tries to rape Sally Jupiter. It's in the headquarters of the team. And, you know. Yeah, he like bends him over like the the round table of the Minutemen room, you know, so. Mm -hmm. Um, And as he's watching the show, we hear this kind of alarm go off, right? It starts wailing. Mm-hmm. And then, he, you know, he runs to his bunker and then he runs down and he pushes this button, right? And it stops the alarm. And what we realize is that this isn't another squid attack. It, it's a drill, right? That he's running for himself. So he wants to be prepared. And as soon as he kind of turns off the alarm, right after it just starts going off again. And he tries to hit the button and I guess it's malfunctioning. 
Yeah, it like bugs out on him. It's not working yeah. properly. Yeah, so then he runs back to his house and goes to his closet in his room. We see in his closet this kind of electrical panel or this contraption is, and it's labeled EDS. Uh, later, we find out, I think, it stands for extra dimensional security. Mm-hmm. He opens the panel. He tries to turn it off. He starts, like, ripping out wires, and nothing's working. So he has to basically rip the whole unit off the wall, and he just starts stomping on it until he finally gets it to stop. Yeah. Right? And then uh, <laughs> it cuts to a scene where he's he's on the phone with the, a customer service rep, and he's very distraught. And he's saying, you know, hey, your machine is malfunctioning. And the guy's like, oh, are you sure it's our machine? Are you sure you weren't testing it incorrectly or using it incorrectly? He's like, no, I've run 500 drills on this machine. So <laughs> that's a large number to be running drills. I, I don't know how long he's had this machine, but I think the idea is that it's supposed to represent a very large number. Right. Uh, and he's he's basically demanding a replacement. And uh, <laughs> the guy reminds him that he should only be using the machine once every six weeks. So he's been overusing this machine like oh, crazy. Yeah. Um, I imagine it's maybe even daily he's using it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he tells the man, I, I want a new uh, unit. And the guy's like, well, we can ship you one next Thursday. And Wade's like, no, no, no. I need it now. And the guy says, well, you can overnight it, but it's going to cost you pretty much the same price as the machine itself. He's like, fine, just do it. Because he really wants the machine as soon as possible because he needs to, I guess, run his drills and make sure he's prepared. And he also says, throw in another roll of reflectatine. So Mm -hmm. my guess is this. This is why he has so many masks, right? Or he's able to create so many masks, right? Because he's a loyal customer. He probably buys reflectatine a lot from these guys or demands it whenever he gets a new unit, you know, because he's probably going through these things monthly. Mm-hmm. And um, another interesting thing is that, yeah, I don't know if you noticed when he was like pushing the red button, he has like a little certificate next to next to the red button. And it, it's oh, I didn't from- notice that. Yeah, it's it's from the Extraterrestrial Squid Society, and the, the degree is on extraterrestrial squid science. Oh, wow, like, okay. It's, it's like in a plaque, and it's right next to the button. So it's it's something that he wants to display, I guess, or he reminds yeah, yeah. himself that he has a degree in this. Yeah, so like I think everything in this episode points to like how obsessed and how traumatized he is by mm-hmm. this event uh, in his past, right? Mm-hmm. And it just builds up to like, I mean, we'll get to this later, but like his encounter with the Seventh Cavalry and and, uh, and yeah. Senator Keen, right? Um, yeah. And another interesting tidbit is he's reading the New Frontiersman in his. Uh, I don't know if it's in his bunker or in his apartment or or his house, but I think it's funny to to see him read that, but not because it's a right wing newspaper, but more because of the conspiracy theories, I guess. Um, cause I don't, I don't see him being like an actual racist or anything like that, or a right wing fanatic, but I do believe that he would read the new frontiersman for it's like crackpot conspiracy theories, especially if it has anything to do with like squids or anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And then the scene kind of ends with him going back to his bunker and he's, he lays down on the couch and he slips the mask over his, his face and we see him kind of just staring at what looks like a bunk bed. It basically implies that this space was built for two. Right. What I'm presuming it was, you know, his ex-wife, right? right. Which we're going to meet in pretty much in the next scene. 
All right. Um, so we cut to Wade at another focus session, and this time it's a bunch of kids testing a a cereal brand called Smileyos. I don't think there's any real significance to this. It's just another opportunity to throw in a little Easter egg, if you can even call it that. The the Smileyo cereal box has a big round smiley face on it, which mm-hmm. I guess is another callback to the the comedian's pin from the graphic novel. So like the executives are asking the kids what it tastes like. They're like, oh, it doesn't taste like anything. In the middle of this session, Wade gets a page from his ex-wife that says that the the pill analysis is complete. So Wade's ex-wife, uh, she works at a genetics clinic called Forever Pet, which offers perfect clones of animals and pets for their owners. Uh, it's interesting to note that this cloning clearly goes beyond just animals because it looks like the clinic personnel are all pairs of identical twins. I don't know if you noticed this. I did. Um, and yeah. I, I, I had the same question. Like, is it that they're clones or... Is it just coincidence where everyone that's hired here has to be? Yeah, it might be just like a marketing gimmick. Uh, But I don't know. Maybe they're identical clones. I mean, yeah, who who knows? Um, And Wade's ex-wife, who who we learn her name is Cynthia from the mail in the previous scene, is in the middle of examining a dog clone. Mm -hmm. And when Wade walks in, she asks him if the dog is identical to the other ones in the room, to which... Wade says that uh, the one she has is just a little smaller. And after Wade refuses to take the dog in, he's like, what am I going to do with a dog? Cynthia puts the dog in a, in a little bin that like incinerates it. It's pretty fucked up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the dog is pretty cute, too. And, and she just puts it in this little receptacle and it zaps it and like incinerates it. That's it's it's a pretty messed up scene. Yeah, like what um, kind of regulations are are governing this this clinic? I'm sure there are, are none. I mean, it's safe to say the clinic is a is an Adrian Vite operation, right? Um, which yeah. is probably now owned by Lady True, probably uh, since yes. she bought up the company. It seems right up Vate's alley, right? And the way the dog is incinerated is like a callback to when. Ozymandias incinerated his own genetically engineered pet, Bubastis, yep. uh, mm-hmm. back in the graphic novel. Um, so for those of you who don't remember or haven't read the graphic novel, Ozymandias actually attempted to kill Dr. Manhattan at the confrontation in Karnak, and he was using an intrinsic field subtractor instead of an intrinsic field generator, which is what created Dr. Manhattan in the first place. And uh, his his pet uh Bubastis was unfortunately caught in that crossfire but obviously that didn't work because Dr. Manhattan lived and he's now on Mars so yeah interesting little callback (laughs) or is he right or is he who knows Cynthia points out that Wade is wearing his reflectatine line baseball cap again and Mm -hmm. she reassures him that it's okay to feel anxious and he says that it's fine and it's just a little squid fall, you know, uh, no big deal. And then she says that she meant that about the chief getting murdered. I just love that, like, throughout this episode, we just get constant reminders of how hung up Wade is on, like, the trauma that oh, he yeah. suffered back in New York. It's just, like, every little scene has, like, something that's pushing his 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 trauma to the surface, right? And and Wade, he uh, he changes the subject to the pills and Cynthia reveals that it's nostalgia. It's like a branded drug by True Industries 
that allows people to ingest and experience memories in pill form. Cynthia also clarifies that it was outlawed because it led to psychosis. So, like, this week you can read more about mm-hmm. nostalgia in the Pedipedia files, which actually includes a, a fun little drug pamphlet for nostalgia. Did you read this? Uh, this yes, pamphlet? I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> the pamphlet has some really interesting little tidbits in it, uh, including the fact that tobacco usage is banned in all 51 states. And uh, the funniest thing we, is that we get, we get yeah. that later hints of that later also in another scene. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but the funniest thing about this little pamphlet is that it says verbatim: "You shouldn't use nostalgia if you're alone, lost, driving, operating machinery of any kind near a pool, beach, a cliff, or an open window. Open responsible, window, yeah. <laughs> responsible for the care of another human being or a pet, engaged in sexual intercourse, or eating. I thought that was pretty hilarious. because it's like, so Basically, it's like, you, don't do don't doing use anything. It. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you better not be um, doing anything if you're trying to use this drug. Uh, well, the one thing that I, I love that the pamphlet really hammers home is that do not take anybody else's pills. Right, exactly. There's multiple places where it says, do not take anybody else's pills. And we see, I mean, this is, you know, spoiler for the end of the episode. Angela takes the whole freaking bottle of it. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're going to be in it for a wild ride next uh, week. Yeah, so. yeah, next week's episode is um, going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. So Cynthia asks if he got the pills from a lady and a lady friend. And Wade says he never said anything of the kind. Um, but I think she knows better, and she says that he's always had a good pick of women, but all he ever does is get involved with women who will kick him in the balls, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Wade then says, like, I picked you. You're a good woman. And then you get a little insight into their relationship where where Cynthia says, and for seven years I tried to convince you that I wasn't going to steal all your clothes and leave you naked all by yourself. So it's like another reminder of what, went down that November day for a looking glass, right? So, well, I do want to bring up one kind of other thing from the the nostalgia pamphlet is that right. it, it does make a point that you you should not be using this drug if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. It can be absorbed into the developing fetus. You know, knowing that Angela eventually takes this is also reminds me of like there's tons of scenes where it's been implied or we've seen them, you know, her and Cal having sex. Like, my hope is that she is not pregnant, <laughs> right? And then now she's right. taking, like, this giant dose of this drug. But, you know, we'll see. Right, yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned the line about, you know, the women kicking him in the balls. That is definitely going to come back a little bit later, too. Which right, is, right. It's great use of lines. And the one other thing I noticed is this is the second use. It's a instrumental version of Careless Whispers starts playing while they're in the lab. Yeah, right. See, I, I don't know what it is about this song that it, it's it's used so heavily in the episode. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not. I couldn't figure it out. For a... this one. Uh, so the next scene, we we move in uh, to. Uh, I guess Wade is going to his support group. I guess he leads a support group. Um, you know, he drives into this kind of church, and we see him kind of laying out these pamphlets. It reads, you know, extra dimensional anxiety in you. And this kind of goes into our second Pedia file, right? Because we actually get to see this pamphlet, right? And, and it, it talks about the different stages of trauma and how to deal with it. One interesting one was, uh, you know, one way, of course, to deal with the trauma is to have a pet. 
immediately reminds me of the last scene when she's like, do you want this dog? Right. You know, maybe you need it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I guess he didn't so, want it. <laughs> was there anything else that you found interesting with that pamphlet or no? I thought it was just, uh, it had a whole section on common misconceptions. So, yeah, so on in, in the pamphlet, there's like a list of common misperceptions where it's like, oh, EDA isn't real. EDA isn't common. EDA isn't as serious as it used to be since we're like 30 years removed from the from mm-hmm. the incident. I just thought it was it was interesting. Basically, this whole pamphlet is just pretty much talking about Wade, right? <laughs> yeah. And what he's going through, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, while he's kind of laying out these pamphlets, we start to hear the voice of, you know, a man uh, who presumably is, is one of the members of the group. And he's talking about his mom and his mom was in Brooklyn, which is even closer than New Jersey. Right. To the mm-hmm. probably the epicenter of the squid. And she survived, too. So, you know, being that close, I thought clearly you'd be dead, but I guess someone in Brooklyn could survive. Uh, And he says that, you know, he wasn't born until 10 years after, in his words, 11-2. But, you know, he still feels like he's inherited her pain, right? And he he talked about bad things happen to your parents, you know, it gets locked into your DNA, and then this goes into genetic trauma. So it, right. it goes back to kind of what you were talking about last episode and, and yeah. your, your theory with um, Lady True and, and, you know, what she's doing to her daughter and also the, the pills that was taking, right? Yeah. So I, I thought this was great that this guy basically confirmed um, what we were talking about last episode, right? About like epigenetic trauma and like its effects on that's like passed from generation to generation. And I think that's going to be like a huge through line for this show. I think a lot of this figures into at least Lady True and Will's endgame relating to like the colonization of Vietnam and the Tulsa massacre, respectively. Mm-hmm. So I guess for the previews of next week's episode, it looks like Angela's finally going to get a dose of this. So I'm yeah. I'm very interested to see where this goes. Um, yeah, and and the one thing that I found really interesting in his description was that he he calls it eleven two, right? And that's very kind of invokes 9-11 right very specifically using you know the the date in, in numbers so you know it's a very traumatic event and it's a world-changing event as much as it was for their world you know 9-11 was for ours right and i don't think this is intentional but mm-hmm. i think when you refer to the event as 11-2 and tie it to an event like 9-11 you're kind of giving credence to 9-11 truthers right <laughs> that say like oh 9-11 was an inside job by the government or i'm sure damon lindelof isn't someone who believes in that but i think it's funny because in this world 11-2 was an inside job by yeah. by ozymandias right yeah. so i i thought that was a pretty funny parallel you yeah. know we see a woman walk through the door and then wade asks you know friend of nemo's uh she nods and then he says welcome aboard and this is, um, I guess, is a a reference to Captain Nemo, right? So 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So you- this is where the title of the episode comes from. Uh, ah. So the whole quote from that, from uh, Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, is that if there was no thunder, men would have little fear of lightning. Mm. Um, and this is where the title, Little Fear of Lightning, comes from. 
I was um, trying so hard to understand why he was using a, a, a Captain Nemo reference, and now you just clarified it for me. <laughs> right. And it's funny because by the end of the episode, we found out that there really is no thunder, right? Wade's entire life is turned upside down yep. uh, from this revelation. So mm-hmm. really interesting. The man continues and says, you know, he, he thinks about calling EDS, but he quickly hangs up and, you know, because he doesn't want to become one of the nutters that wraps their head in foil. We know it's like a, a little bit of a jab towards Wade's character, right? Because that's exactly him. We've seen a scene where he called EDS telling him right, that right. this new unit and to give me more of the reflected team, right? Right. And specifically cuts back to the scene earlier when he puts his hat down right and we see the inner lining of the reflectance i remember when i first saw the episode i did not like these cuts oh yeah you know what i think they're a little heavy handed i typically don't like when episodes do that i like it when it doesn't really hold your hand and you know you can make those assumptions by yourself without them showing you right Yeah, at first, that's what I thought. Like, I thought I was like, man, I I wish they wouldn't show us these because, I, you know, we just saw this scene like we I understand what he's talking about. But then after a rewatch, I understood that this is kind of doing the thing where it's really hard to capture in comics or what comics do so well. But it's sometimes it's hard to capture in in like TV or, or movies is when it tries to translate to those mediums is that, you know, a lot of times we get the inner thoughts of our characters in comics really easily because, you know, there's thought bubbles. And there's easy right. ways to kind of narrate. And okay, this, that's this fair. Is, this was kind of their attempt, right? Right? Like, it's not like we linger on the scene. It's like a quick flash. So we, we, we realize right, that's, right. that's exactly what he's thinking in the moment, right? We see right. kind of a quick flash in, into, his, in, into his mind. So that's how I interpreted it the second time. And I at the second time around, I, I enjoyed it a lot more with that interpretation. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Because, like, I could see that as being, like, a flash, a PTSD flash where, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's, like, what's actually shooting through his mind at that moment mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and i i buy that a little more you know mm-hmm. than hand holding uh, yeah hand holding exactly yeah. Uh, and then you know wade then takes this kind of turn and, and talks to the group and says that you know he was once just like this man that he was afraid uh, of the squids all the time and that he was terrified but he's no longer afraid right and he tries to kind of comfort the group by reminding them that before the squid fell, that the world was on the verge of nuclear war, right? Uh, the U.S. versus the Soviet Union. And that when the squid arrived, it basically united the two warring nations against this common threat. Right? Uh-huh. He, you know, he asked the group, you know, does it ever end? And he kind of answers the question himself by saying, yes, that everyone is in this tunnel and that all tunnels end. And at the end of the tunnel is a light. And he's there to do his best job to kind of lead them towards that light. Right. And they all kind of pray. And then I didn't write it down. Do you remember the things that they said during the prayer? Oh, yeah. I don't I don't remember what they say. It's like, oh, there are dimensions other than our own. We are not the only dimension or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, moving on. We leave the church and Wade is kind of walking back to his car so that I guess he's presumably going home for the night. And he sees that woman. And during the scene where the guy's talking and they're praying, he, he kind of keeps looking back at this woman, right? He's kind of mm-hmm. fascinated by this one. Sees her just standing there at her car. And he basically tells her that we have meetings on Tuesdays also. So please come back on Tuesdays. And she calls him on his bullshit and says, you know, I don't believe you. You know, there's no light. And she believes that he is still in that tunnel. 
Which which he is, right? Yeah. He doesn't really believe in the stuff that he's slinging at these support meetings, right? Yeah. Um, and like it also is a reference to Doctor Manhattan and and uh, Adrian Veidt in in the graphic novel, right? Um, mm-hmm. Where Doctor Manhattan's final words to Veidt is like, "Nothing ever ends," you know. But here, Wade is saying, like, does it ever end? Of course it does. And it's not even something he believes. And then, you know, she calls him as batshit as the rest of them, right? And he has this funny line where he's like, yes, bats do shit in tunnels. Yeah. (laughs) And that uh, the only way to kind of uh, settle their bet is to basically assess her trauma versus his trauma. Uh And, you know, he asks, next time you come on Tuesday, tell your story. She says she's not coming back on Tuesday, but she does tell him to follow her. And this is kind of where we move on to our next scene. Right. So Wade and uh, we find out her name is Renee. They're bonding and uh, basically just shooting the shit over some beers at a, at a bar. Right. And mm-hmm. Wade talks a little more about what he does with his cover job at the focus groups. And she kind of tests him on his lie detecting and detective skills, I guess, and, and sniffing out lies. Wade then wants to compare their uh, traumatic squid stories or uh their respective batshittedness, right? As you mentioned earlier, since they both came out of the support group. And Renee gives another cool little example of how this world diverges from our own, right? Mm-hmm. She recounts how affected she was by the movie Pale Horse by Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently in this universe with the squid attack, Steven Spielberg never made schindler's list nope and instead went on to make an oscar-winning movie about good attack it's it's pretty pretty nuts and it even has its own version of uh the little girl in the red coat in in schindler's list right i don't know how that works because that was based on a real person i uh i read but i don't know maybe Maybe this was a real person, a little girl walking around in red. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So another uh, little world building nugget there. Um, And this is, again, a throwback to, you know, the pale horse being the... Right, the 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 band band. that was playing Mm -hmm. at Madison Square Garden when the the squid fell. And uh, because of this movie, Renee says that she's scared all the time and she's not sure why everyone isn't petrified all the time of like another attack right and Mm -hmm. they bond some more over like their mutual trauma and they even go outside and they share a kiss right uh but things take a turn for the for the worse when uh renee's ride picks her up and uh oh a head of lettuce falls out of the back of the truck Mm -hmm. (laughs) and wade instantly recognizes it as the truck uh that was involved in the shooting in the very first episode and he gets into his car, he calls dispatch for backup, and he follows this truck to to what turns out to be like an abandoned department store, right? Yeah, so I don't know why he didn't actually wait for more backup when he went in there, right? <laughs> well, I guess if he waited, he would have realized like what's going on? Because she does say later, you know, we find out in the next scene, she says, like, oh, we were the ones on the radio. Right, right, right. So I guess if he did wait, it would have been like, well, what the hell? He would have been waiting on? forever. Yeah. <laughs> But um, some interesting things that I, I got from the scene was, first of all, this is where I started to like ask the question, wait, are cigarettes 
illegal because she you know she's smoking it and then he's like you know oh that's a controlled substance he's like well are you gonna call the cops on me that's when i realized oh oh that's it that's interesting i didn't even uh i didn't even catch the first time yeah Yeah. it was it was my second viewing there where i caught it i was like oh so cigarettes are illegal yeah yeah. at least that's my thought and then and then we yeah when i read the um, pdp file basically confirmed it they they are illegal yeah (laughs) and have you seen a little bit of a tangent have you seen yesterday Danny Boyle's yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this totally reminds me of that, right? Where there's like this just alternate universe of our own that there's just certain things that are missing. What led to them banning cigarettes, right? Or how did they get to the point where they can basically make cigarettes illegal, but in our world, we can't, right? Right, right. So one thing to mention is that when they were playing their little game, she says, you know, I'm a waitress. And he's like, oh, you're lying. And I can't remember the other job that she said that, you know, where he figures out she's lying, but then she finally says, I'm a radiologist. Yeah. So that's he's like, she, that's he's like oh, that's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's also interesting is that I noticed the truck with the tarp. I was like, wait, there's a tarp on that truck. Oh, when, uh, when, when, when it she, comes to yeah, pick her up, the, it comes to pick her up. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a yeah. tarp on that truck. It's like, I wonder if it's the same truck. And then it basically immediately confirms that it's, it's the truck yeah um, from the uh, the very first episode so uh as jeff said we'll move on to our, our next scene where wade follows his truck to what is a an abandoned he says a department store when you actually go in it's like i'm pretty sure this is a mall not a department store but whatever mm-hmm. um and uh he, he says to himself way to go uh way to pick them you know another kick in the balls mm-hmm. um so this is again a, a direct callback to the line earlier, where his wife says, "You know, you have the pick of the litter when when it comes to women. Why do you always pick the ones that basically kick you in the nuts?" Yeah, and here's another kick in the nuts, right? And then he sees uh, Renee and the male who's driving the truck. You can see their silhouettes put something over their head, and they get out of the car. And yes, they are wearing Rorschach mask. And then they go inside the the department store. This is you know the point where he calls dispatch and says he has positively ID'd seven case suspects and he requests uh, backup. So he goes to the truck and he looks in the trunk to find the lettuce, but then he pulls something out from underneath the lettuce. And I wasn't too sure if we were supposed to know what that was. Uh, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah it was I'm like a box, sure he... and I'm like, no, I don't know if we're supposed to know what that is at this moment. Yeah. But then he does go to the front seat and also finds a pistol. So he takes that with him as his weapon. So when he goes in, he kind of roams around and he finally does find the quote unquote church, right? The one that Laurie has been asking for all the cops to go out and look for, mm-hmm. right? And then we realize is that it's not a church actually, right? It's just a set, yeah. right? That's, you know, that they staged inside of this department store. So you know, Lori's search is basically for not, right? Because they'll never actually find this church. Right. And then all of a sudden, while he's kind of backing away, because he, he's in amazement, he's like, oh, I found the church. And he's backing away. And all of a sudden, we hear and see this portal open, right? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, a basketball falls behind him. He's as shocked as we are, right? Mm-hmm. He's hiding away. And then, you know, he hears a 7K member come and basically investigating, you know, where the ball fell. Uh, Wade follows this man. He comes upon this giant group of 7K members that are throwing basketballs into this portal, right? This doorway, which mm-hmm. is kind of an entrance to some portal. Um, and then he pulls up his gun and tells everyone to freeze, which mm-hmm. I don't know if that was the best thing for him to do because there's like 15 of them and one of him. Right. 
that's what I'm saying, right? Like, what what is he thinking at this moment? He's yeah, clearly like completely outnumbered, right? Yeah, um, and the backup's not there, and it's so weird. But the woman then says, "Oh, hey, he's here," right? Mm-hmm. And this is our first little hint, like something's going on here, mm-hmm. right? Because she's not at all surprised that he's here, right? Um, Wade demands them to turn off the machine, and they do. And he asks, "What is going on?" The woman responds by saying, you know, I went through a lot of trouble to bring you in, right? And she says, like, I even rigged the lettuce to fall out of the truck. Yeah, so the whole thing is a setup, yeah. The whole thing is a setup just to get him to this point, right? And then we Mm -hmm. see a man approaching from behind him, and then he notices too, and he turns around and, you know, without hesitation, just starts shooting at him. But the man is fine. And then the woman explains, those are blanks in your gun, you know, just in case. So they even set up the gun in the truck. And she then tells him also, like, hey, you know, there's no backup coming because that was us on the walkies. Mm -hmm. Um, And that the only way for him to see the truth is for them to show him the truth, right? And at Mm -hmm. this point, this is where they kind of drag him into this other room. Right. And so, like, the 7K member that takes Wade away into this other room, this is the big reveal of the episode, right? He reveals himself to be uh, Senator Keene. So we told you that guy was shady, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, Wade who figures it out on his own. Yeah, right? from his voice. Yeah, his voice. and then voice. and then Senator Keen, he's like, "Oh, why am I even wearing this mask? You know, you know who I am." I think this is something we predicted a bunch of episodes ago. Maybe we didn't know he was like a seven K member, but at least that he was involved somehow. Just like with how smarmy this guy is, and like how reminiscent the funeral attack was to like. Ozymandias' own faked assassination attempt. Uh-huh. So I guess it's confirmed now that Senator Keene has assumed leadership of the 7th Cavalry, right? And mm-hmm. he even goes on to confirm what was in the Pedia files about his own father and Judd's father, right? Uh-huh. Revealing that he was in cahoots with Judd as an attempt to, quote-unquote, keep the peace between the police and the 7th Cavalry. So again, like... With the PDPedia files, like if you've been reading them, you can kind of call what's gonna happen like ahead of time. But even if you don't, it's fine, right? Because the show will make sure that you know all the important bits of the supplemental material that you need to know, right? And and this is mm-hmm. definitely one of them. Um, but like, how much do we really want to trust what he says? Are they really trying to keep the peace? between the police and the 7k like yeah you're not really sure if you like believe them or not and uh but it looks like indeed that keen and and uh crawford were working together and um, so does that imply that crawford was also 7k or was he just working we with don't like know he, i yeah, mean we don't it's, know right? it's safe to assume that he was just because of the the clan robe in his uh mm-hmm. in his closet um yeah but he could just be like a racist cop or something you know and wade immediately assumes that the seventh cavalry is going to use the teleporter in their possession to launch another squid attack but keen says that's not true at all and that they're planning something else so i think if you go back to like the first or second episodes you can see the 7k members like amassing the lithium batteries 
mm-hmm. which is uh, which is like part of the Doctor Manhattan tech. So I'm assuming that this is what they were gathering all the batteries for to power this teleporter, right? I mean, they didn't use it to like build the suicide or can- cancer bomb. Yeah, the cancer bomb. Yeah. So I think it's being used to like power this teleporter. Oh, okay. And so what they're planning, I believe they mentioned that it's also going to happen in three days, which goes back to... Well, he says it's going to happen a couple of days. A couple days, of days. So, but I'm assuming that's three going days. to coincide yeah. with mm-hmm. what Lady True and Will are planning. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, it could be, it, it might not be, but that's what I thought of when that's what he said about their plan, you know? And then Keen, he blackmails Wade into turning on Angela to stop her investigation. And he uses this uh, mysterious tape to force Wade's hand, right? Um, He says he got this top secret tape the day he was sworn into the Appropriations Committee of the Senate and that it's a big secret. And he said he was disappointed to be on the Appropriations Committee and that he didn't get like a more... Sexy quote unquote job. sexy post, right? <laughs> but like, if you know anything about like United States politics, the Appropriations Committee is like one of the most powerful committees in like the entire country, right? It basically powers like the economy pretty much, right? So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe he's like naive or just new to politics, but I thought that was <laughs> kind of funny. Um, or maybe it just means that in this world it's not as important. Yeah, maybe that could be another yeah, another like, divergence from uh, from our world. Maybe. So he says, "Wait, I'm gonna show you something, and after you see it, you're gonna walk out of here, and you're never gonna be afraid of big teleporting aliens again." He takes his leave, right? But but not before saying that you're going to prevent. Angela from continuing her investigation by whatever means possible or that he's going to go and murder her entire family in her sleep. Yeah. So this dude's it's clearly like, it's basically like, you know, yeah, basically set up your friend, get her in jail. Yeah. To save exactly. her life. Basically to save her life. Right. So he takes his leave and he leaves the tape in uh, Wade's hands and in front of him is like this multi- monitor setup which is very reminiscent of ozymandias's surveillance setup in uh mm-hmm. in karnak mm-hmm. so clearly a callback to that and the tape is of adrian veidt days before the so-called squid attack and well he he says it's november 1st so yeah november 1st the, so the, the, the day, day before, before right yeah what's interesting is that this is a video message for president redford right and he's not even going to be elected until seven years in the future correct so he's basically saying that this entire squid attack was orchestrated by him um just to save the world and to basically like reset the doomsday clock right to get russia and the united states to stop fighting and to unite the world in like this uh this tentative peace i guess and a lot of people have been saying this is like a confession but it's definitely not a confession. I think it's more of a threat to President Redford on the yes. day of his inauguration, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I control everything. You are president because of me. And yeah, you're going to fall let's in work. line. Yeah, yeah let's, quote, work, quote, together. let's together. work together. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
So Adrian Veidt is like the ultimate gaslighter, I guess, telling President Redford to uh, to fall in line with maintaining the cover up of the truth of the squid attack, right? Yeah. So this is the big secret. But like, if if you've read the graphic novel, this is all information that you already know, right? Um, yes. What I got that was super interesting from this tape was that he's planned it even further than just initial squid right right so he even set up robert redford as president because he knows he's going to be president even like seven years in advance right yeah you know he planned for the the tiny squid falls to right the reigning of the little squids right Right. because he he confesses that you know he um he has to plan for small scale uh, extra dimensional events also in the future right right he's gonna set up like little squid falls Exactly. To, to make it even more convincing, right? So this has me wondering like how far in advance has he planned? Yeah, I don't I don't know. And then how does it tie with why does he want to escape from wherever he is right now? Right. It, there's a lot of questions. Like it could be that he wants to make sure his plan is enacted, right? As right. far as he's planned it, so that he needs to escape. Or maybe at this point, does he finally feel remorse and feel like maybe he needs to escape so that he could stop his own plan? Yeah. And 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 where Lady True and Will fall into this whole thing. Right. So it looks like the 7th Cavalry is at odds with Lady True and Will, right? Because That's my best guess, yes. Right? Because they want Angela to continue investigating and to take the pills to to experience the events of i guess the tulsa massacre from from will's perspective the 7k wants to stop her from digging any further i'm assuming that they're at odds with each other right i don't know it's it's hard to tell there's so many players in this little game here that that it's easily pretty confusing right but i'm sure we'll know more about everyone's motivations in the weeks to come so yeah this actually kind of goes into my theory Okay. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. You asked last week what the Millennium Clock is for. Now I maybe think that it's like a weapon in the Uh sense that I think that she's going to be able to use it to, instead of the pills, use it as a way to kind of project the memories of, you know, these people's ancestors. Because I I kept asking myself, why Tulsa, right? Or why does it keep alluding to this 1921 riot? So yeah, it, it does seem like the story has told us that a lot of people that are relatives to those that have experienced the riots are coming back to Tulsa, right? To start new businesses, mm-hmm. to get their red predations. It's like the perfect powder keg place for Lady True to be able to use people's memories to her advantage, right? Right. So it's it's people that are probably angry that so many of these, the lack of a better word, you know, white people that mm. you know attacked Vietnam but also had probably part of the riots right. in 1921 are there versus the people that you know were oppressed and killed so my, my guess is that she's going to somehow trigger the memories of everyone there and it's going to cause some kind of riot but in a different way right where we're going to see the revenge for those that were killed in 1921 does yeah. that make sense yeah that makes sense so it's like it's kind of like an empathy bomb where she yeah. shares all the trauma that all these people went through. 
um, whether it's the African-Americans back in 1921 or, I don't know, the Vietnamese, her, her own people who were colonized by mm-hmm. uh, the Americans during the Vietnam War, of which, like, Dr. Manhattan is responsible, you know? So, um, yeah, that, that could be the end game. Um, very, very possible. That's a good theory. Especially because I, I know also, like, you know, Lindelof, if we look back at Lost, he loves to create a revolving story, right? Where the very first scene of Lost is like the opening of Jack's eyes and then the very last scene is the closing of his eyes. Right, right, right. So I wonder if the very first scene that we opened with this series is a riot. What if one of the very last things we see the season is another riot? Right. right? Like, but in a different way. Right. Yeah, that was just kind of where my thoughts were going. I wonder if it will play yeah. out now. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good theory. It's Okay. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention was that we see again the woman, you know, puts up her mask and she says, you know, I am a radiologist, right? And it's like, I'm telling mm-hmm. you the truth. I was a radiologist. And I, I don't know why she's doing that. I don't know if it's going to be an important point, the fact that she's a radiologist or if this is someone that he feels like she can trust later. Like, I, yeah, I, I don't know what's... Or maybe it's what's... just like she's not even a radiologist benchmarking, like... Uh, oh. extent of his like deductive skills you know to see where the limit of like where he can tell a lie is you know so i mean that could that's be true. okay yeah. yeah i didn't i didn't read it like that but that's definitely i yeah, yeah I can definitely see the interpretation yeah and okay. so like this whole tape thing also goes back to the pedipedia file about agent pd saying that declaring uh ozymandias as dead was a huge mistake right um mm-hmm. because we don't know that he's dead and by declaring that he's dead it gives the room for everyone to be wrong and that would just legitimize like the seventh cavalry which has turned like rorschach's journal into this sort of bible right and it would mm-hmm. legitimize their like white supremacist views and and all that just because they were right about like the conspiracy theory you know, and it's interesting to see like they've had this tape in possession for like this amount of time, but they haven't really done anything with it, right? They haven't mm-hmm. like shown it to anyone. Um, as far as I know, the only use they've gotten out of it is to coerce Wade into turning on Angela, right? Yeah, but it seems like it's a piece of information that would like I don't know if it would like turn the tide of public opinion on their side, but it would at least like add a bit of legitimacy to their hero, you know, Rorschach. So, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious as to why they haven't used it yet. Um, well, my, like my thought went to what if Adrian planned this and I would not be surprised if Senator DeKean had a different video, right? Where it's Adrian specifically talking to him. Right, saying right. that I'm planning that you will become the next president and you need to do these moves at these moments. Right. Right. So, like, I, mean, I, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I, theory, right? <laughs> or yeah. speculations. Yeah. Um, okay. So, let, let's get into our, uh, our next scene. So, like, you know, we see, we see him on the video, right? And it kind of cuts the Adrian of our, I guess, present day where we see him now with, again, a bunch of new Mr. Phillips and new Crookshanks, right? Right. Well, it's not present day, right? Because we know that it's... Well, yeah. 
It's I guess a, it's not present day, apart. but his present day. We'll call it his present day. Yeah. And this is the first time it isn't confirmed that it's another year later, right? I don't mm-hmm. think there was like a cake with candles. So no, I mean, no. We can probably assume it is a later time, especially because he's had the time to make all these a better suit and then raise all these um, Mr. Phillips and Crookshanks again. So it, there has been some kind of passing of time. Mm-hmm. We see Adrian getting dressed, right? And there's this advanced version of the suit that we saw like uh, two episodes ago. And then... Yeah, you can see like he incorporated the the buffalo hide. The buffalo hide. And yeah, then, yeah. And then uh, we see what looked like two Mr. Phillips kind of cranking up this machine and tied to kind of one end of the machine is, is the rope. And at the other end is is him. So I'm guessing this machine is the thing that will pull him back. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he he himself is now the one who's going to get into the trebuchet, right? To get launched right. into the sky. So now he's he's confident that he'll survive. I guess that the suit is going to keep him alive, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know he he tells Mister Phillips to basically launch him. He gets launched, and we kind of see him in, in in his perspective. Like it's a kind of a close up camera that we can see basically the upper part of his body, and we see him kind of soaring through the sky, and then all of a sudden he's soaring in through space. So this definitely confirms our assumptions that he's not on Earth, right? right? And he's not on Mars, right? But he's no on a uh, moon. So he's actually on <laughs> some some crazy guy on on the internet. I uh, I think it was maybe Reddit or something. He like mapped out the topography of like Europa, which is one of Jupiter's moons, and he like mm-hmm. compared it to like the footage in the in the show. And he was like, yep, that's Europa or whatever. So I'm guessing like, because you can clearly tell that the planet that the moon is circling around is Jupiter. Okay. I'm assuming that he's on Europa, which is one of Jupiter's moons, right? Got it. Okay. So the the length that's, that some people will go to like <laughs> to confirm, uh, confirm something. <laughs> right, right. Uh, he's flying through space and then we see him kind of like drift down and he finally lands onto the ground of... I guess Europa, we'll just call it Europa. And we see that there are a ton of dead Mr. Phillips and, and Crookshanks. This also told us that I guess he's been sending Crookshanks up there too. Cause yeah, you know, yeah. we've only ever seen Mr. Phillips go up. Well, he was, he launched a bunch of Crookshanks last episode. Uh, oh, okay. trebuchet. Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember that. Okay. So we see a lot more than what we've been led to believe that he probably sent. Um, and then he starts to kind of, rearranging them right he's dragging them around he's breaking off body parts oh actually before he starts doing this he he looks at his wrist right or his kind of wrist guard and there's the pocket watch right that's the same pocket watch that we saw in the second episode that he cries from the dead mr phillips hand and then you know he looks at the time that he has and then he starts like i said rearranging these bodies and he's kind of rearranging them and then he looks at his his watch again and then he looks up and then we see what looks like a satellite orbiting by. And it is confirmed that it is a satellite. And then he says, I did it, which is mm-hmm. a, a direct callback, right, to the comics, right, where he he screams the same thing when. Um, yeah, he says, I did it. Yeah. When he sends the squid. And then we see that he's arranged the dead bodies to say, to spell out, it says, save me. And then all we see is the letter D. Mm hmm. So, theories? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Dr. Manhattan, Dr. right? Manhattan, Save me, yeah. Dr. Manhattan. 
Yeah, no, no, that's that's where my brain went. I just didn't know if there's anything else that the D could stand for. It doesn't just say save me, and it specifically cuts it off so we don't see the next letter after the D. Right, right. That makes things even more confusing, right? Mm -hmm. Because I guess it makes sense if our theory last week was true, that Lady True is the one holding him hostage. Yes. So that he would implore Dr. Manhattan to save him. But if Dr. Manhattan is the one holding him on this planet or on this moon, then why would he ask him to to save, save him, him, right? Yeah. So the scene after when he's pulled back, right? Mm -hmm. The warden comes out and he says he when he's talking about what the, the god that's in charge or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if that were true, that would probably mean Dr. Manhattan, right? So we're yeah. getting a lot of mixed signals here, so we're not we're not sure like what's going on, right? Yeah. What's interesting is that we get a really close and better look now at who the game warden is. Yeah. And it's a Mr. Phillips, right? Is it? That's what I, I thought, thought at first, but he I looks different. Was, see, I thought it was a Mr. Phillips and he just has a mustache and a hat because he does say, you know, he keeps defying the laws of the land of us who serve it like he's like uh -huh. as speaking as though we're all the same yeah and that this person adrian Wright, is different so that's why i thought it was a mr phillips because he still it looks like a mr phillips to me just with the mustache mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah adrian uh, clearly he can't breathe and then the, and the man pulls out a sword and we think that maybe he's gonna stab adrian but he actually pries the sword between the suit and the helmet and mm -hmm. gets his helmet off so that he can breathe and basically places Adrian Veidt, he says, you know, under arrest. Right. The man says, you know, uh, may God have mercy on your soul. Mm -hmm. And Adrian goes into this rant about God, and he says, your God has abandoned you. Yeah. Uh, and then the game warden says, yeah, he is right that their God has left them, and it's likely he'll return. So, yeah, you're right. He does use the word he. So, yeah, this makes me think, like, this is Dr. Manhattan that they're speaking of because – if we remember from the end of the comic, he kept saying that, you know, I'm going to go out there and try to create life. Right. So maybe this was like his, he tried to create these, you know, Mr. Phillips and Crookshanks that didn't work and he just abandoned them. Maybe. But then like, why does it say save me D something? Right? D, yeah. Right. Is it's it, just like, uh... is it Dan Dryberg? No, I don't think so. Some people are saying it's Dan, but I don't buy that at all. Yeah, right. I don't buy it at all. He's just some inventor guy. He doesn't have, the power or the means. I mean, he's in prison, first of all. I don't know if Ozymandias knows that, but I don't think he even has like the technological know-how to like rescue Adrian. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of where we leave it. Now we're on a little bit of a cliffhanger thinking, you know, what's going to happen to Adrian? Right. Should we go to the, the final scene? Yeah, uh, take us home, man. Scenes? <laughs> yeah, so we're back at the police station and uh, Looking Glass, Wade, he's just sitting at his desk you can tell like he's racked with anxiety over this new information that he was given by uh, Senator Keene, right? It looks like this has thoroughly broken him because it's his entire life that has been predicated on this squid attack. And now he's realized that it isn't real. Mm -hmm. It looks like he's really conflicted about giving uh, Angela up, you know? And Angela comes in, she's really pressing him on the pills. And at first, he's pretty receptive. He tells her that it's nostalgia. Mm -hmm. 
But then immediately Lori comes out with guns drawn and she takes Angela away. She arrests her. And Angela's shocked. She's like, she knows immediately that it's it's Wade and and she's like, What did you do? What did you do? And as she's take being taken away, she downs the entire bottle of pills yep. um, that Will gives her. So we're going to be in for a real crazy ride next week. So I'm assuming they're Will's memories, right? Yes. That's, that's what we have to assume. And, and from the previews, it looks like that's, that's what it is. One thing that we should mention is that they're talking at his desk. And now I'm realizing he, he pulls up his mask and shows his face. And it kind of is reminiscent to the, you know, Renee's character who earlier kind of pulls up her face, right? And says, I'm a radiologist. It's almost like, you trust me. Uh-huh. So she, he's definitely showing her her face and saying, like, please let me help. And, you know, she says, yeah, he was my grandfather. I think maybe he might have killed Judd. Right. Yeah. She admits everything. Yeah. I'm covering for him. And right. And this was set up at the beginning of the episode, too, when Lori says, you know, I bugged your cactus. Uh huh. He knows that Lori is listening. Right. Right. And that Lori can hear everything that they're saying. So he's basically setting Angela up. So yeah, I thought that was a kind of clever callback again. Uh, to the but they didn't the spell episode. it out, which was nice. Like we we know that the desk is bugged, and Lori's listening, and yeah. you don't have to mention it again. It's like, oh, there's a bug in the cactus. I just like it when shows let you infer on your own without yes. like holding your hand, you know. Mm-hmm. And that was a great example of that. Yeah. So the episode closes out outside of uh, Wade's home. Mm-hmm. You see a van pull up. And 7K members, armed to the teeth, they storm his house, and it cuts to black. They have, like, rifle shotguns, semi-automatic weapons, and we don't know what happens to him. We'll probably find out next week. Well, are, are we? Or are we just going to be all in Angela's, like... Yeah, maybe. We might yeah. not find out. Like, so we this might is not a thing that shows do all the time. They set up a really huge cliffhanger, and they wait, like, two weeks to give you an answer this is the first time we've had like a cliff cliffhanger right like a real a cliffhanger cliffhanger yeah yeah yeah, definitely so uh rest in peace looking glass or or you don't think so we'll see i don't know i don't know because he doesn't seem like the most confident with the gun and his ability to fight so we'll see it is interesting to note that he's about to walk into his house he sees that the replacement eds system is there right waiting for him right and he picks it up and throws it away but then after a while he comes back and picks it up again or he takes it takes it back basically right 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 so it kind of shows you that he's still kind of not ready to let it go no he's not ready to let it go but like not ready to completely believe it he is thoroughly broken by this yeah yeah but um my rule is uh if you don't see a body, they're not dead. And yep. people do these fake outs all the time on TV shows where it looks like the guy's going to die and then he doesn't. So, And I think Looking Glass is like a fan favorite character. So I don't know. I feel like Damon Lindelof likes killing off characters just as much as some other big TV shows. Big TV shows, but I'm not convinced that he's dead. So 
but we'll we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, I think if he wanted to actually kill him, he would have killed him. He would have done it this episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think there's sure. a little bit of a red herring to keep us on suspense, but I, yeah. I don't think he's gonna kill him. Did you have any other theories or anything that you might have? Not really, actually. Like for the amount of information that this episode uh, conveyed to us, um, everything was pretty straightforward it's a lot of like confirmation of little theories that we had previously Mm -hmm. and i think most of the questions that are raised have to do with adrian Vite, where he is who has him prisoner and all that you know Mm -hmm. but we'll we'll find out soon enough yeah yeah again i i really love the episode because it, it gave us so many answers to so many questions that we've had leading up to this episode and it's no different, though. It gave us a lot more questions, and, and I'm excited to find out those answers now. So uh, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Uh, Jeff, where can people find you? People can find me on Strange Harbors. It's my blog that I write about movies, TV, comic books, just pop culture in general. You can find me at www.strangeharbors.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Strange Harbors. Uh, what about you, Derek? So uh, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the tag at the wrong day. Dick is spelled D-A-Y-I-K. I also host another podcast. It's called the Film Trailers Podcast, where we talk a lot about the latest film and film trailers. But where you can find this podcast is basically where you can find any podcast. We're pretty much on all the major platforms, the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And what would really help us is uh, since we're still, you know, we're, five episodes into the series but we're definitely relatively uh new podcasts into the realm of podcasts so what really helps us is that you know going out there and, and you know, subscribing to our podcast uh and especially if you're on a platform like apple Podcasts, you know it's one of the only platforms that lets you like rate shows and, and leave reviews that really helps us to get our uh, podcast out to so many more people so we'd really appreciate um anyone that could you know leave us a star rating or a review and uh subscribe to our podcast uh, and if you have any other uh, questions or comments, please uh, email us at who watches the podcast at uh, gmail.com. Yeah, we love getting a fan email and, and we've gotten a couple of nice responses. So keep those coming in. We love answering them on the podcast. And um, yeah, we'll see you next week.